How's everybody doing today? Today I'm joined by Father Pine. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. <clears throat> I'm kind so of bewildered you... by your introductory oh. sequence, though, because it happened so fast that I didn't I didn't recognize that I recognized. So um, I think I might have recognized, but I haven't yet recognized that I recognize. But I'll, I'll, I'll keep you posted when that happens. Man, you just have to you have to cultivate a certain habit of being able to um, to uh, to process things in in a in a faster pace i mean your sensitive faculties must be dampened somehow to hinder intellection i've actually i've actually thought about that while watching people <clears throat> check their instagram feeds i'm one of those creepy people in public transportation that watches other people but kind of like low-key because i usually have airpods in and i'm working on language exercises so i appear to be the creepiest man there because i'm sitting over there in the corner going like yeah, Ihaba Mina, and they're all over like uh dude dressed weirdly, <laughs> saying German things to himself. But meanwhile, I'm watching them just kind of swipe through their Instagram feed. And it is impressive to me that they can register something as interesting or uninteresting in such a short amount of time. Whereas I'm over there and I'm like, <clears throat> colors. And then they flip to another picture and I'm like, more colors. <clears throat> yeah. So um yeah. it is it is impressive the way in which the human attention span, as it gets shorter, gets more uh, I don't know precise and rec in like recognizing what appeals to it but it also gets like shallower too because because it's harder to um to consider consider the thing in its fullness you know because when when like the the current trends when it comes to like e even like conservative well trad trad means like it's just like boom 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 like just like just what i did is like a picture like every like one tenth of a second like they'll like mm. even faster than mine They'll just go through like a thousand different uh, like uh, medieval and, and well Renaissance era paintings with like a certain song in the background, and that's the popular thing. But uh, it it, it is kind of just like it is it is like absolutely like ADHD uh, inducing because people now have just like because I think that's that's honestly what's causing a lot of problems with um, with kids is because kids uh, who grew up. Uh, with phones, especially, then also with TV and stuff, there they have all of these colors getting getting thrown at them, and and now that's what keeps their attention. So when it comes mm. to boring stuff like class or reading a book or, or or stuff like that, it can't keep their attention because now their threshold is so high. They're kind of like drug addicts looking for the next high. Wow, fascinating. And meanwhile, <clears throat> what am I doing with my life? I don't know. Not saturating know. it sufficiently with social media, it seems. Or maybe that's contrary to the kind of indication that you gave by the moral censure that you threw in their general direction. But um, still, they've got some serious colors working for them. So I respect so that. So do you, do, you, do you Dominicans, like, I, I don't know how the monastic life is. Do you guys have cars at all? Um, so the community where I live in Freiburg, Switzerland, is composed of like maybe 18 friars, I want to say. And we uh, we share the use of three cars, basically. But isn't Which that kind of cheating? Because Dominicans historically, you guys you guys uh, walk around on foot, right? Um, excellent point there, Christian Wagner. Uh, so so historically, Dominicans were forbidden from riding on horseback, which meant that oh. we typically would ride around on the back of a donkey. 
Which oh, is why really? when St. Thomas Aquinas gives that argument about the convenience of the uh, of the the fittingness, as it were, of the incarnation, he says it's yeah. like it's like riding a horse. He's being cheeky. St. Thomas Aquinas is hilarious. CF, one of the responses, excuse me, one of the said contras in Prima Pars question two, when he's like, does God exist? And then he cites Exodus 3.15 or 3.14, but God says, I am who am. It's because St. Thomas is hilarious. Um, so yes, Dominicans would typically not ride on horseback, which would have been the deluxe transportation of the age. Uh, it does not translate to the modern kind of setting. Uh, nor is it any longer enshrined in our constitution. So the Dominican law really? is a living law, and it can be revised by Dominicans every three years. So we do that occasionally, sometimes for our welfare and sometimes for our woe. So I'll be seeing so, you on the next so, chartered jet from Freeburg, Switzerland. So do the uh, do the Franciscans because I know I know they're like completely like riding nothing. Do they do they walk around on foot still? Um, it just depends. So there's one Dominican order, <clears throat> and the Franciscan order uh, has a variety of expressions, right? So you got the OFMs, you got the OFM conventuals, you've got the OFM, you know, like who take care of the holy places in Jerusalem, which is its own thing. You've got the third order regulars, you've got the Capuchins, you've got the Friars of the Immaculate, you've got the CFRs, you've got the FPOs, you've got the Franciscan Brothers Minor. So some of them do walk around from place to place. Some of them don't wear shoes. Some of them don't have fridges. Some of them don't have a variety of things. But you can find a Franciscan group uh, for whom the, the vow of poverty is, is, you know, binding in this, that, or the other way. Because there are just many expressions of the Franciscan charism. And a lot of people will say that that is in part because of Francis's idealism. So Franciscanism is a kind of idealistic strain in the life of the church, which is good because if there weren't idealists, then we'd all just be like jaded chain smokers. So it's good that there be that. I thought the Dominicans were the, were the chain smokers. That's what I've heard. No, the chain smokers is actually a recording artist uh, composed of two <laughs> men who uh, make EDM music in the subgenre of uh, electro house dubstep. So I thought you would have known that. Um, no, but- no, I, 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 I can't even think of any music I listen to. I kind of just listen to like the one, the one ordinary at mass and then ordinary uh-huh. vespers and ordinary at matins where they did like choral music. And then maybe some like English choral music, like William Byrd. But that's, okay. that's like about all, all I listen to. It's, it's not like, like at work, you know, they got like all the music playing in the background and that stuff yeah. is just like garbage. I, I don't get it. I don't get why it's why people like it. I do. Uh, because the choral progressions are designed to make your heart beat faster and your toes tap. So I think all of us want a little bit of heartbeat toe tap action in our lives. Uh, and I, I'm sympathetic with it, honestly. Not in the sense that I'm like going out there looking for this music. Um, but, um, you know, sometimes, for instance, if you're driving home on a long car ride and you're falling asleep at the wheel, endangering all those within a two mile radius of you on the highway, um, it's good to play EDM music because it actually functions more effectively in my experience than coffee or sunflower seeds, uh, which you, is a great uh, gift to me and to all those in my immediate vicinity. I ordinarily have you listened was, to, um, have you listened to little dark age? I have not. Ought I to? Oh my, I I'm going to, I'm going to have to quick email that to you. Great. Real quick. Yeah. So, uh, so everybody that's watching after that brief, brief chit chat intro, we're going to be, <laughs> I have to send you a little dark age. Oh my. I can't believe you haven't listened to that. That's like the best song ever. 
Okay. Look, 68 million views. That's many, but not as many as Despacito. I, I don't know how you know that, but... Uh... <laughs> I just know that it's the... I think it's one of the most viewed videos on YouTube of all time. Oh, I thought you had like a view count in your head or something. I don't know. You Dominicans no. are scary sometimes. No, no, no. Oh. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a robot. Uh, nor <laughs> am I a computer. I am a fallible human being. I'm a horseshoes and hand grenades guy. I'm like a close enough type, except for things where being close enough is not, in fact, close enough. Okay, I'm gonna send you send you the link about the email to you. Look at you this. Look at this wild report. freedom that you're exhibiting right now in this live report. show. Oh, oh! I do this all the time. I'll like, I'll like eat dinner. I'll, I'll like. Will oh you? yeah, I yeah yeah. That's done, what happens done, on live streams these days. I've done crazy things on live streams. I uh, I one times dropped my sumo. Um, I I picked up my whole sumo one time and I dropped. Okay. I, unfortunately, I had a, a, a this this apparently is a recurring theme with me. I had a, a painting of of Saint John Henry Newman on the ground. Okay, and it's. And it, it it had like a glass pane over it. No, and I and I dropped my sumo on on John Henry Newman. Oh, so somebody clipped. Yeah, yeah, it was it was laying on the ground, uh, right right back there. And my okay. sumo is right there. And I picked up my sumo because somebody was bragging about some Muslim book, how it's the longest book ever. Uh-huh. And I was like, I was like, oh no, the Catholics have you beat. And I picked up my whole sumo and I showed it to the showed it to the camera, and it slipped out of my hands and uh and broke ah. Saint John Henry Newman. That is tragic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that you purposely dropped it and just didn't acknowledge the fact that there was something beneath it. And then I was going to ask um, whether you were nearsighted, but that's not the case. So I won't ask that follow-up question. This okay, is... so look at that. Look at that. Let, let the heavens rejoice and the earth be glad. I just got another patron. Look at that. There so you uh, so this this is a good, uh, that's a good segue. Everybody watching, um, become a patron uh let's see uh oh did i tell you that um uh that i've i've edited and now uh have edited the first volume of scotus's ordinatio and i'm putting not. it in print are you really when you say edited you mean yeah, like yeah, editing so a manuscript that... or do you mean like translating it no no somebody somebody um somebody had translated it and okay. it's kind of i mean it's a it's a great translation every every scotus uh that I've talked to have said it's it's pretty nice, but uh, the PDF wasn't the greatest thing in the world, and nobody had had uh, put it in print. So I had to I had to go through and fix a lot of uh, fix a lot of grammar and spelling stuff, okay. and then uh, fix all the footnotes and yeah. So it's taken me like a month, but I finally finished it. So volume one is now in print. And uh, that should be going in stores next week. So if you become a, yeah, it's Peter Simpson. If you become a, uh, gosh, why can't I think today? If you go a patron. If you go become a patron, you get you actually get a uh, PDF proof of of my edit. So uh, that is and that you get a mounted head of a deer goal. off Christian's wall because he's got an yeah. extra one. Uh, actually, I'm getting the third one here soon. Yeah, I shot that one probably ninth grade. That one probably eleventh grade, and uh-huh. then the third one. No, that was that was probably senior year actually. And the third one I just shot uh, this year. Okay. So, uh, and oh, what are your one, thoughts on what are your thoughts on SCOTUS before we actually get into our topic today? What What are my thoughts on SCOTUS? That's like asking somebody like, "What are your thoughts on Bolivia?" <laughs> it's like it's like a whole country. 
I mean, it would take me years to explore it in order to give you an adequate rendering of Bolivia. If I were to give you my impressions of SCOTUS right now, I'd be like, yeah, I saw Bolivia in the Copa America, but they weren't as good as Argentina or Colombia. So, you know, no, man, we're not just going to do impressions on SCOTUS. Are you kidding me? You know, you know, like YouTube, YouTube short level. I'm going to. We got to we got to get them out. The people the people want the thirty second. Oh man, you you absolutely broke militant Jamie's heart. Oh man, sorry, militant would, would Jamie. Would you would you consider yourself a militant? I think he Thomas? he capitalized SCOTUS when, and and that to me reads Supreme Court of the United States of America. If you capitalize all the letters, that means what? Do, what do you Supreme think about Court. the Supreme Court? I mean, you're overseas right now, so you don't have to worry about a pushback. I am like overseas. I, do. I don't. Yeah, I live in splendid isolation from the political makeup of our great republic so as a result of which i don't weigh in on these matters because uh, i can count the number of minutes that i spend reading the news on one hand i can actually count it on zero hands so um yeah so is that a kind of liability when it comes to high level political discourse absolutely how often am i called upon to participate in high level political discourse not much so, Wait, you mean like Fox News hasn't been like emailing you, asking you for to, to come on and talk about? I wonder if no. the Dominican has ever been on Fox News. That's a good question. I, I imagine that's probably happened. As to when, I can't tell you, but I hope so. I, I, I the, the cockles of my heart would be warmed if that were to have been the case. The Ann Arbor Dominican sisters went on Oprah a couple times, which is a really different thing. Yeah, man, that's did did they like? they like get at oprah or anything no 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 oprah was I mean, interested in their life she's I'm like you're like Dominican strong sisters. powerful women tell me about being strong powerful women and they're like yeah gladly and then she's like and you get a humpback whale and everyone went home happy <laughs> I'm, I'm sure this that wasn't uh consecrated virginity wasn't oprah's idea of a powerful woman though it was not actually and most of her <laughs> questions centered on that in a kind of strange and voyeuristic way which is god bless the sisters for undergoing that yeah, I, woof. Okay, so is is John Dunscotus a Dominican's worst enemy? I think it's I think it's Louis de Molina because I mean John Dunscotus he's a blessed guy. So you have to remember we can't be just like trashing all the all the people who have been uh, beatified by the church. But uh, Louis de Molina he's he's fair game. There you go. Well, I think <clears throat> it depends what you mean by enemy. So within the limited confines of theological enemy, all of whom espouse what is basically, in fact, the Orthodox faith and are on board for, you know, sacramental system, governance within the one Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. Yeah, I mean, you could say something like Luis de Molina uh, because he's not condemned as a heretic. And as a result of which, within those confines, you got yourself a good little candidate. Uh, but when it comes to enemy, if you broaden your scope to include heretics, things get wild. And then if you broaden your scope to include what the preternatural, right, things get more ultimate. So I'd say the the enemy is is the evil one. And the evil one often sows sides, excuse me, sows seeds of discord to make us think that it's us versus them. When truth be told, and without sounding overly naive or Pollyanna-ish, it's often us versus the evil one. So I'm 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 leery of us versus them debates, although I'm you know happy to engage in them from time to time. But uh but yeah, the enemy is the evil one, as far as I can tell. Blessed John Dunscotus has been raised to the altars, at least partially. Yeah, because honestly, I've obviously I've had to read a lot of John Dunscotus recently. 
he's pretty he's pretty he's pretty good like he's he, smart. i mean like yeah you if you've if you've uh dug into his ordinatio i don't know if you have because it's, it seems like you you said that you haven't really read a lot a lot of scotus but um he has a section on the authority of scripture and like he gives he gives 10 reasons why and he he kind of in his apologetics is is even better than our angelic doctor like like his ah yeah yeah when, when it comes when it comes to that one area yeah, yeah, yeah because he's he's like he's anticipating like kind of like centuries ahead of his own time um some of the arguments that are being put forth by like new atheists and stuff and all of these like uh german biblical critical scholars like he's anticipating all of these arguments and then uh, and then answering them it's kind of like what saint thomas does with the lutherans within the in his uh in his treatise on tract on the eucharist well, so uh so let's uh let's let's one one more question would you consider yourself a militant thomist i would not i would say that i pertain to the church militant mm-hmm. i would say that um oftentimes uh i i'm i'm somewhat solicitous for the reputation of thomism because i think that the fate of the church is in part bound up with the reception and the like kind of constant presence of thomism mm. um and so this is like insofar as you have this debate in public discourse between or among people like David French and Saurabh Amari or kind of people of Saurabh's ilk, which would be like, you know, Matt Schmitz or such like, um, there's a kind of open question as to whether it's still possible to be kind of like polite or courteous in public discourse, not, not just in like in the limited sense, what that entails, mm-hmm. but like, are, are we even, are we even operating within a system where, uh, like political liberalism in the case of public discourse where, where you can have meaningful exchanges or is it all just, yeah. Is it all just bloody battle? And I think a lot of conservatives at this point are saying it's all just bloody battle. So there's no point in keeping up this farce. Um, you know, so, so why, why bother? But I think that mm. with, with Ecclesi- like it's different in the ecclesiastical realm, you know, this is somewhat contentious of a, of a claim given the, you know, the synodal way and the way in which it's playing out in certain language groups. Um, but I think that it's still possible to, you know, to have discourse. Uh, will certain political factions within the church co-opt the discourse in order to pervert it? Undoubtedly, you know, but, but I, but I, I think that um, militancy is, is not, well, this is, here it is. Secunda Secunda question 40. Well, it's in four articles. The first pertains to the just war theory in general. And then second, you talk about ambush. But then he asks whether or not priests or clerics should engage in war. And he says, no, it's more fitting that clerics go up to the altar, that their blood be shed than that they themselves be, you know, involved in the shedding of blood. And so I think militant militancy, you know, as far as Thomism goes, is Mm -hmm. better done by laymen. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that I'm not going for like irenic Thomism, but I'm, I'm doing more like a kind of predicatorial or like a pedagogical Thomism, which um, I think ends up sounding a lot less militant because of the like the nuance that I can't help myself from introducing into every conversation because I'm wildly addicted to subordinated clauses. So I, uh, I, I, if I were to brand my Thomism, I would call it mystagogical Thomism. It's about taking you by the hand and leading you into the mysteries, the mysteries that you've already received, but remain as yet for a kind of apologetic and mystagogical explanation. Boom. Yeah, I've been I've been reading um, uh, John of St. Thomas in his ascent uh, to Mount Carmel 
so uh i've i've been i've been getting into the mystical life a bit let's go baby it's i i love it i love it it's great it's our our angelic doctor he was he was a uh he was a mystic as much as he was a scholastic and he would probably say more so so here's a question. You just said John of St. Thomas and the Ascent of Mount Carmel, oh, which I, I think I, was written by John of the Cross. But... I meant John of the Cross. I was thinking okay. of I was thinking of John of the Cross and uh, St. Thomas at the same time. So I just named not? a completely different, completely different figure. No, and I was also that. thinking of I was also thinking of uh, Gary Grew Lagrange because I've been reading yeah. him, and I can't wait to get to his work of of synthesis between. Uh, um, John of the Cross and uh, St. Thomas, St. John of the this Cross. This is like the love of the cross of Jesus or whatever it's called. I've forgotten the name of that book. I have it it's in a in box. Two volumes. Oh, yeah, we're talking I about have, three ages of spiritual have, life. Yes. Yes. That one. I have a massive PDF. That's like, I think it's like 5,000 pages. And that's it's Gary Lagrange's. Yeah. It probably wasn't uh, legally acquired, but I, mm. I'm, I'm not, I'm not proximate to the act, so I, I don't know whether it's, it was legally acquired. You, you can so. get a Kindle book of basically like everything that Gary Lagrange wrote for like 99 cents. So <laughs> make Maybe. it an honest book, man. Make it an honest Maybe. book. Okay. Go and buy okay. that would, Kindle book and then use that PDF. Okay, Father, would this would would this be a uh, would this be a sin if I if I bought a copy of the Kindle book and then didn't read it just so I could keep using my PDF? I think I might actually, I, I, I'd be inclined to say yes, because sometimes like straightforward restitution is not possible. And I don't know what good is served by the destroying of a thing. But I think that as far as restitution goes, you're basically bound to as close to a literal interpretation. Also, if you, I mean, if you buy the Kindle book, I think you can get it delivered in a variety of formats. It needn't uh, necessarily be whatever they have it programmed as or like an EPUB or something like that. But, yeah. um, but yeah, no, I mean, like I, I've talked to people who are nervous about pirated content of whatever sort, uh, like movies and stuff like that. They're like, I was at a friend's. They took this pirated movie and watched it. I didn't say anything. I'm worried that I'm complicit slash scandal. And I was like, you know, you confess it. And then you just buy the movie or you just rent the movie and you just move on. Uh, I honestly, I, I've been, I've been on a kick recently about intellectual property rights because like, like what is what is intellectual property? Because I mean, you look at like the history of um, the history of of writing. Like you mm-hmm. you like read Eusebius or something. Eusebius is just taking everything he's got and like basically plagiarizing like all the best. That that's that's the history because people people didn't see themselves as innovators. Like mm-hmm. when you get into the the late medieval uh, poets. When when they're when they're writing their stuff, all they're doing is taking old stories and then putting them in new literary formats. They're basically just stealing and synthesizing, like plagiarizing and synthesizing. So I I don't necessarily think anybody really has a uh, intellectual property when it comes to truth. You know, that is a big question. That's like you're asking about Bolivia, you're asking about Scotus, you're asking about intellectual property. Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> I think, I mean, you could run that answer historically, like genealogically. You could run it in a more principled way, kind of metaphysically, as it were. I mean, you could, yeah. you could do any number of ways. But um, I, I don't know what my thoughts are initially. I think that, yeah, there's there's a kind of a new concept now of intellectual worker, which comes with the, the secularization of the academy. When the academy was more so associated with, you know, like formation for work in the church, 
there was a kind of system of benefices which made it run or which um, made it possible for it to operate kind of prescinding from financial arrangements. So, you, so people were less concerned to publish works and sell works and build out a CV so that way they could get jobs which would garner more money and yada, yada, and this and such. Now, that's not to say that people didn't care about those things. People have always cared about those things. People will always care about those things. Yeah. But I think that um, it becomes more acute with the secularization of the academy. And so, yeah, but we live in the here and in the now. And I think that, um, yeah, you can't just like wish history away or undo the enlightenment with a snap of a finger. So I'm probably going to come down a little more intellectual property is uh, is where we just find ourselves in this post-lapsarian world kind of way. But I'd have to think more about it. Uh, yeah, you know what? I might... Guys, send send questions if you have questions in the chat. I might just switch the title to this to uh, to chill stream with Father Gregory Pine because I mean I mean we're already like halfway in like why 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 uh why why start a start a uh, long conversation about uh about prudence so uh so what do you what do you think about the the uh, Ressourcement versus neoscholastics sort of sort of debate. What do I think about that? <clears throat> I don't really know a ton about it. I've read a little bit about it, specifically as it concerns Christology, because that's my jam. Um, Ooh, there are things based. about the racehorse mont movement that make me nervous. I think it's good to want to recover the fathers of the church and, and to recover them in their context with a sensitivity to their context. Because, yeah, there, there are elements of the tradition which can demonize, you know, prior figures, perhaps without sufficient reflection. But I think that the tradition is wise. And as a result of which, I think that we are judged by the tradition rather than we ourselves judging the tradition, rather than it being the case that we ourselves judge the tradition. And I think that sometimes what you see in the racehorse mont kind of vein of thought is an attempt to displace certain elements of the tradition by selectively recovering elements of what went before it. So if you look at the racehorse mont series, what is the first volume that they published? This is like during the Second World War when they really got the thing up and going. They published Gregory of Nyssa's Life of Moses, all right? So Gregory of Nyssa is not your, your biggest figure from, yeah. you know, the Eastern Church. Uh, he's, he's not even the most famous of the Cappadocians. In, in, in fact, he's the third most famous of the three of them. Um, so what are we doing here? And then you go back and you get Irenaeus of Lyon. And oftentimes you're going back to certain figures who are addressing questions before they became settled and conciliar declarations. Exactly. Um, and so they're, they're thinking not in a way that's unmoored, but they're thinking in a way that's yeah, not yet um, clarified by or hemmed in by subsequent declarations of the ecclesial body. And so these sometimes these thinkers will go back to those things and um, they'll use them as launching points or, you know, jumping off points for their own musings, which tend to want to orient the tradition away from certain settled propositions of like the last, I don't know, millennium. Um, so like, like reading von Balthasar, for instance, one von Balthasar, just theological method wise is something else. Uh, and that's a longer conversation, but it's like, I'm sorry, did you just cite Adrian von Speyer in the same way that you decided Maximus the confessor? Um, but the thing that's fascinating about von Balthasar is he's always quoting you know, interesting people, but the ones that you see with sometimes with most frequency, and it depends on the publication, are Origen, Gregory of Nyssa, Maximus the Confessor, 
So it's 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 evident that he's doing something deliberate. I'm not saying that those guys are bad guys. St. Gregorius is a saint. St. Maximus Confessor is a saint. Origen was condemned like 300 and some years after his death, but still um, kind of based. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a big deal. And, you know, a lot of people think that post-apostolic uh, theology is just origin and friends. So um yeah, so but 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 it's but it's fascinating that he often goes back to them in certain contexts, like universalism, for instance where there's a kind of ambiguity about the things that they're proposing and he's leveraging that ambiguity. So that's what worries me about resource movement as it's kind of prosecuted in the 20th century. So am I against the recovering of ancient texts? No. Am I against, you know, uh, a kind of patristic renaissance? No. Um, but am I against a kind of methodology which somewhat subtly undermines the tradition from within? Yes, especially if you don't acknowledge it at the outset. And then with neo-scholasticism, I think it has its own excesses and its own defects, which need to be acknowledged. So, which is part, which goes back to the question regarding militancy. Uh, I don't think that a, that a, that a renient theological position should ever use its, its renancy um, in a way that's overly strident, uh, which could cause alienation on the part of those who do not pertain to the mainstream conversation. I think there's gotta be a way of incorporating voices uh, and I look to the 16th century Siglo de Oro on the way in which it was practiced in Spain as a, as a decent example of that. You know, you just had chairs of these different departments and then you just had them, you know, form their students and debate amongst each other. And it was kind of proven in uh, a level playing field within the university setting. And uh, that produced an incredible number of, of really good thinkers. Now, mind you, did some of them tend in a kind of strange direction? Sure, sure. But that's bound to happen, right? You can't hyper-legislate or you're just going to make it such that life is oppressive. So that's my thought. I, I have a, I have a quick thought about the resource mom, because it seems like when, when we speak of resource mom, we're talking about an era of theologians, but when it comes to um, the original intention, they meant it to be a method, not, not necessarily a group of theologians or a theological school. Resource mods supposed to be the method of, of, of resourcing um, ancient uh, authors, but we've we've seen an utter failure after that generation, kind of starting um, in the early to mid uh, 20th century, going all the way to like De Lubac in his death in the, the 90s. Then, uh, then, so so. What I think the reason is that you don't have younger uh, resource mod theologians is because the reason that they were such good theologians and they could engage in resourcement is because they were trained as neo-scholastics. That's were such clear and good thinkers. And the reason why the movement kind of died is because it's impossible to, to teach unless you have this very formal structure. So, um, so the habit of a theologian is, is, is harder to build when you're not, uh, doing a sort of manual way of, uh, way of teaching. So that's, that, yeah. that's, that's my little theory. Could be, could be right. I also think too, that they were monster classicists, you know, so they're capable of reading those texts with great attention, um, and with great subtlety, given their pretty profound knowledge of the antique culture in which those, those texts would have been written, which I think that we've just lost that tradition. I mean, you read, yeah, you read memoirs or travel diaries from the World War II era and people are just showing up in foreign lands where the, the native tongue is wholly other than their own and communicating in Latin and in Greek. And it's like, 
Yeah, that's just, I mean, it's just not possible today. I mean, it is possible for a very limited subset of individuals, but so sad. That, that appreciation for the antique culture is, is largely lost. It's that, that, that makes that, that black, do you know what, do you know what black pill means? I don't, you, you know, uh, you ever watch the matrix? I did watch the matrix. Yeah. You know, you know, like the, the red pill and the blue pill. Yeah. I remember one of them would send him back to his fairy tale life. And then one of them would send him like out into the real world. Right. Yeah. So, so when it comes to, uh, when it comes to the lingo of the, of the kids these days, okay. you know, the youths, <laughs> the youths, when it, when it comes to them, uh, taking taking the black pill means to uh means to be really sad about something or really really down about it and then okay. you could also be you could also be christ pilled you could be uh thomas pilled like there the, it it just means to like to to be able to ingest something as to like really be excited about it you know okay so so that's uh and then then also the term based also goes with it do you know you ever heard that one based I've heard it, but I don't know what it means. It's oh uh, yeah, I hear that one a lot. It's kind of a it's kind of an apophatic term. It's it's like a complete negation of cringe. Ah, okay. Yeah. And cringe is bad. Yeah, yeah. Cringe is like uh is like a think think of think of a boomer mock uh think of a boomer mass where mm-hmm. uh where they have like um let me think Father gives the final blessing with a guitar. Yes, yes. Think think about that. That is that is a perfect example of cringe. And they have like Susan from the parish council is handing out all of the the Eucharists and uh, and and invoking Mother God and, and stuff like that. That that's that's the perfect example of cringe. Now think of the think think of the exact negation of all of that. That would be based. Uh-huh. Okay, got it. So people thought people thought you were a Zoomer. People think you're a lot younger than you are. How old am I? Thirty-three. What's a zoomer mean? Zoomer is you. You know, there's boomers. So, so zoomers yeah. are like Gen Z. So technically, uh, I won't reveal my exact age, but I am just on the the age limit between uh, millennials and Gen Z. Okay. So, what so, is that? So age limit? I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of. Well, if I re- if I said the age limit, then then I would say my age. Who cares, man? <laughs> what are, what are you doing protecting your age from other people? You've got two deers on your wall. You're not a, you're not afraid of them. Yeah, that's right. But but people people will like, you know, you know, I I've got it before. Uh, when when I used to be like open when people asked me about my age, the people would get like mad at me, be like, you can't Four. you can't be you can't be like writing and and, and doing stuff like that. <laughs> You're too young, bro. Like you gotta. People are gonna say stuff like that until you die. So, do they still say that about you? I don't know young? what people say about me because I don't. I don't necessarily know where I would hear it said. <laughs> in my live stream, there you go. Um. So, so, so I was born let's... in '88. Does that make me a millennial? Yes. Yes, you would be a millennial. Okay. Yeah. So the uh, what's older the... than millennial? Older than millennial. Uh, What's the generation above me? I think it's Gen X. That'd be like my Gen parents. X. Okay. Be my parents. And what what are Zoomers? Zoomers. That's like Gen. That's also known as Gen Z. That's like uh, kind of the kids that are in like high school, early college age right now. Uh huh. And then also below that too, like middle school and elementary school and stuff. Bas- basically, the the whole limit between the two 
has to do with the availability of the internet. So even among my age group, it's completely different. I didn't, I grew up in a, uh, in a blue collar household in a very rural area. So I didn't get a phone until I was in like halfway through high school. I, and I never really grew up with like much, much like didn't grow up with like with an iPod touch or any, anything like that. Like you got, you guys all remember that. I don't, I, I didn't grow up with any of that technology stuff like my peers did. So uh, that that's really the limit is those who didn't grow up with technology and those who did. But there's some of my peers who are the same exact age who did grow up with that, like through element, well, through late elementary and middle school. So like I'm in such a mixed like uh, age group in this in this awkward like sort of middle place because you get to like my my nieces and nephews, my nieces and nephews, uh, they're. They're, they're completely grew up in techno with technology. Like they're two years old and they know how to use a phone. So yes. like that they're, they're far into Gen Z, but, but me, I, I remember a time when like, in order to have fun, I just went outside and like threw rocks around and like played in a stream and like went swimming in a pond. Like I, I remember doing stuff like that, but so, so, so that, that's such a weird, like generational gap because other ages aren't that like hard and fast, but you really see a huge difference between, uh, between people who did and didn't grow up with, uh, with a strong technology. Fascinating. All right. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a millennial some... and I'm yes, not a zoomer because a zoomer is Gen Z, which is the generation below me, nor am I Gen X because that's the generation above me, nor am I a boomer because that's my parents' generation. Yes, and you wouldn't want to be a boomer. Hey, man, I know some cool boomers. No, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, but they're not boomers, though. They're, 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 the reason they're cool is because they don't exemplify the boomer spirit, you know? Ah, got it, got it, got it, yeah. Because because you think about it, like, think about all of what the boomers have done to us, all of oh, they've God. taken away from us. Because huh? <laughs> think, think about how cool things were, like, okay, um, so... Boomers would have been around in like before one. I'm against golden ageism. Oh, oh yeah, I'm against antiquarianism too. But okay, I, I think right. that, I'm I against think the preferential a... option for the ancient as well. So, well, when it comes to antiquarianism, I think it's I think a I think what we need I think everybody just needs to read uh, Saint John Henry Newman in order to destroy antiquarianism because wow. I, I think that's a problem with everybody except the Roman Catholic Church. Everybody, the Eastern Orthodox have antiquarianism. The Protestants have antiquarianism. Everybody does it. And everybody everybody looks back to a certain golden age that they're going to be drawing their theological and liturgical uh, traditions from. Or there's someone on the opposite end of the spectrum who completely disregard uh, tradition. And both of those positions are untenable. So the the golden mean, let's say, is going to be uh, Saint John Henry Newman and his uh, his thesis on the development of doctrine. And I, where where, where my you wife moving on it? No, no, my wife's moving around my books and stuff. I can't find it. Oh, that that man. is that is that is the one the one down the the one benefit, <laughs> not the only one one strong benefit. Of, of the religious life for you uh-huh. is you, you don't have a wife coming around moving your books. I mean, this, is, this is terrible. I don't Where, have where's books, my bro. book? You don't? Nah. I live in Switzerland. Shipping anything to Switzerland costs a billion dollars. I just go to the library. How, how far is the library? Mm, 
Well, here's the thing. I need to order those books so that they show up at the little like guichet. Uh, so I need to I need to give them like 36 hours forewarning on any books that I hope to pick up. And then I walk maybe like 15 minutes to the library. Man, you're you're living good life right now. Going to the library. Do you, this is do my you, life, bro. Do you do you drink do you drink coffee? Uh, I drink like Americano. I drink like like a shot of espresso with some water in it. Uh, yeah, I uh, I also decided to uh, severely restrict my caffeine use. Uh, for is that part of Lent? Lent? Yeah. Nice work. Me too. I'm just doing two cups a day, which goes to show you where I was. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah I, I I but I had to. I just had to have a cup of coffee this morning. I was up till seven a.m. Uh, editing Scotus, and then I finally got to bed. And then I had a, uh, then my son decided he wanted to wake up at about 7 a.m. and then just like laugh for a half an hour while I was trying to sleep. Nice. Like he was, he was just sitting in, sitting in his bassinet, just like having a great time, you know, babies in their, in their joyfulness. He was just, I don't know what, why he was enjoying life. He was just enjoying life and, and giggling for like half an hour mm-hmm. while I was trying to sleep. And then I had a, an interview on UFOs. So the guy before you, the guy who you got atop, he was talking about UFOs. Yeah. Do Do you believe in UFOs? To top that. No. Do you, how How about ghosts? I'm a firm believer in ghosts. I think that there could be people who like I like souls from purgatory. I'm not against them making a brief appearance. So so as to ask an individual to pray for him and stuff like that. But yeah. Hmm. How about how about like souls from from hell coming back and for for scaring? That I don't know. That I'd be less convinced about because I could see no efficacy for the Lord permitting that in His providence. It's like to what end? You know. I mean, if you, I mean, if the you Lord see permits the... us to be the Lord permits us to be like, as it were, um, to suffer the effects of demonic assault, which seems like more than enough action coming from hell. So. Like, I guess on the, on the one hand, okay, the souls of the damned, why not? Um, but on the other hand, it's like, to what end? You know, like, what end does that serve? Because the demons, in a certain sense, were defined by their allegiance to the evil one, and the evil one is the great accuser, and as a result of which, you know, it just, it, it kind of makes sense within the narrative of salvation history. But, like, souls? Like, all they care about, as far as I can tell, is not God and themselves. So mm-hmm. why would they want us with them i don't know yeah so i i i think i'd be more inclined to say yes to souls of purgatory actually i just simply say yes to that but when it comes to the souls of the damned i'd be less comfortable okay so militant jamie i would normally answer that but since your thing's christology i guess i'll i guess i'll just have you answer it how did jesus take up a human nature without generating a human hypostasis so the basic kind of analogy that St. Thomas uses is the analogy of creation itself. So for St. Thomas, creation isn't a point in time after which things were, but creation is a kind of relation of dependence, whereby what is looks to God, and St. Thomas identifies it in De Potentia, Question 3, Article 7, as a kind of fourfold relationship. So all of creation depends upon God for its being, for its conservation and being, for its agency, and for its you know issue and agency. So that relation, which St. Thomas says is a mixed relation, 
is, is what we mean by creation. Mixed relation, you say, what's that, Father Gregory? Well, a mixed relation is a relation basically that obtains in one direction. We have like banal examples of them. So for instance, um, you know, like I'm walking through the park, for instance, and I, and I pass a tree on my left and a tree on my right. Uh, those trees are, as it were, related to me, but I'm not related to them because I am a substance of a greater dignity. And it's not as if I am in constant flux as my position vis-a-vis X tree and Y tree is constantly changing. So it's something that inheres in a, you know, like in a lower form, but it doesn't inhere in a higher form. And St. Thomas will say that, that a mixed relation is what we have in creation. So creation relates to God, but God does not relate to it. The kind of ground floor of that claim is the fact of the divine immutability. Because if God were constantly acquiring new relations, then he would be in a state of flux. And as a result of which, he wouldn't be identifiable as, you know, like a kind of classically theist God. Um, And so when it comes to the incarnation, what we have is a creature, right? Our Lord's human nature, which is assumed, right, into a union of hypostasis. So the, the human nature is assumed into the person of the word by a relation which obtains in the creature, but not in the creator. Uh, So it's a kind of radical orientation of the human nature to the Godhead. And that is by a grace, which is by a created gift. And that grace we call the grace of union. Uh, So that's just what we mean basically by the hypostatic union, which is the grace whereby human nature is hypostatically united to the word, such that the word subsists in divine and human natures, acts through divine and human natures by an operative communion. Uh, and that's that. Um, have, have you ever heard of Leontius of Byzantium? I have. I, uh, I actually, you know the volume where, uh, I, don't know, I don't know if you have it, but the volume where uh, all of his works are translated, don't you don't know. have it. I actually, on the channel, interviewed the, uh, the editor and... Uh, the editor, he's a he's a Jesuit. I didn't hold it against him. From Notre Dame, I won't hold that against him either. And uh, and and he he uh, he taught on Leontius and uh, edited a volume, wrote some wrote some papers on him. And I uh, because apparently, like nobody knows about about Leontius, but he was kind of the uh, at least in the popular uh, theological nineteenth uh, century way of talking about theology. He was he was the one who uh, who who first uh, came up with uh, anhypostasis and enhypostasis. Boom. So I thought I saw St. John Henry Newman is a golden age. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I like this question. How was your Swiss? Nice. Great question, Milton, Jamie. And a trick question because there is no such thing. Although there is a local patois which exists only in one canton, which canton is called Graubünden, and the name of that local patois is Romanche, which is kind of like a strange pigeon form of Latin, or I don't know exactly how to describe it because I don't really know what it is. Um, But Switzerland is composed of three major language groups. There are six cantons in which French is spoken, 25 cantons, no, 19 cantons in which basically only German is spoken, then one canton in which basically only Italian is spoken. And then that there's that one German-speaking canton in which Romance is spoken, but just in a couple of valleys. I live in the French-speaking part in canton Fribourg. But, so I speak oh, French geez. on the day-to-day, and then I need to know German and Spanish and Italian for theological purposes. So my Swiss is great. That's what I'm trying to say. 
what do you what do you think about what do you think about this video right here? You can see it. Tom Aquinas confesses Jesus doesn't love Christians. I haven't seen the video. So in this video, I explain why St. Thomas Aquinas believes that God doesn't love humans. This is based on the affirmation of the doctrine of no real relations. Thomism debunked. <laughs> and you, you, you know the you know the the meme deep I'm, I'm you're gonna you're gonna be all on the uh the gen z lingo after this one you know yeah, you know the the uh idiom debunked i don't know so so you know how uh <laughs> I, I'm, ass, I'm assuming when you were on social media that you saw like people never have been. like when, when you would when you would uh when you you never been on social media no oh gosh okay this is gonna be harder to explain uh, you, you know how actually like, that's not somebody... true i was on facebook for two and a half weeks my first year of college but then i was getting updates about all the dubious decisions that my friends from high school were making and i said no never again it, it, and then and i, you, I canceled wept. my account yeah and and father pine wept exactly <laughs> so so you know how like you'll be you'll be telling some something to somebody or or somebody else will be uh will be talking about something and it's a kind of a controversial sort of thing. And they bring up a piece of evidence. The other person's like, actually that's been debunked. You, you know, you ever heard, you ever hear that? Uh, no. Oh, you never heard that. Come on. <sighs> mm, you'd be, you'd be perfect for Twitter. Uh, <laughs> um, hmm, this is hard. <laughs> this is very difficult. So people, people will go around and they will debunk. Like all, like Christianity has been debunked. Like, like the gospel of Mark has been debunked. And they'll like say like, oh, Bart Ehrman debunked like the manuscript evidence for the New Testament and like, and like yeah. a bunch of stuff. And because uh, to make fun of them, uh, people just called them debunkers rather than debunkers. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, the yeah. internet, man. It's, it's just a really creative place. Oh, so uh, Father Pine, was the incarnation strictly necessary for God to save us? If not, what do you think of the famous phrase, what is assumed is not healed? I'll pull you up that section of the Summa for you. You don't need to. Um, oh, you just so, memorized? I mean, it just takes too long to read small words. So it's not strictly necessary. Uh, St. Thomas says that it's most fitting, convenientissimus. Um, and the reason for which is, you know, God could have chosen to save us by whatever means he thought possible, but this means was especially fitting, and St. Thomas gives a variety of reasons as to why. So five, which promote us in the good, five, which withdraw from the evil, but it doesn't seem that St. Thomas envisions that as, you know, exhaustive. But I'm basically what I'm writing my dissertation on is Tertiopar's question one, article two, the fourth, fourth argument, so like the fourth thing that pertains to promotion in the good, namely that in doing so he gives us an example, which was related to what goes before, which is he increases our faith, you know, emboldens our hope and, and kindles our charity, and then what goes after in that list, which is, it's that whereby he divinizes us. So I'm arguing basically that the example that Christ gives in human flesh is a divinizing example because it's a, it bears a theandric operation, which like transposes divine attributes into the register of human virtues, which is, I think, true. So not, not, not strictly necessary. God could have snapped his fingers and as it were, but it seems most fitting. And some people will argue, I read this article by a guy named Van Roo about the resurrection that it seems that God would have had to have made it known to us uh, were it to be received as something like salvation. 
Have you have you read uh, De Ratione's Fide? I have. Isn't so on his on his uh, chapter in there uh, on the fittingness of the of the incarnation. That that I think that's one of my favorite sections in in the in the Corpus Domesticum. The other one is the the question from this Summa on uh, on um, beatitude. That's another just beautiful like devotional one where he talks about like if you if if you want power in this world God is omnipotent if you want pleasure in this world like our Lord yeah. is like brings joy in in the beatific vision and like I think that's one of the most beautiful passages but when it comes to that from De Ratione's Fide that that section um, on the fittingness of the incarnation it's it it seems like I'm just reading like and I mean. Uh, Athanasius is only incarnation, but in like put in one paragraph. That's what it feels like I'm reading. And somehow it's even more brilliant than like the entire work by uh by the defender of Nicene Orthodoxy. Wow, savage. Yeah, those those little treatises are wonderful. <laughs> the Compendium Theology is kind of like that, but longer. The De Ratione was three days a gem. I I love I love the compendium. I honestly, because I'm I'm a I'm a visionary. I'm a visionary. Okay. I think I think that the compendium could because because I think that that like most most of my audience are kind of people that have like read the catechism you know they're they're they're, they're good on like the the baseline of the Catholic faith but they're not ready to like hop in the summa you know like that awkward middle ground of like I do lay, laymen that like want to want to really uh, become theologically educated but it's hard for them to like have access I think. I think especially for them, like being being taken through the the compendium would be like a perfect like intro, you know, to get the to uh, wetten the palate, so to speak. Get my them, my go to recommendations, and I actually have to go here pretty shortly for uh, for Compline, but my go to recommendations are on the Creed, on the Ten Commandments, on the Our Father, on the Hail Mary. And then the De Rationibus Fidei and the Compendium Theology. That's kind of like how I ramp mm-hmm. people up to, to other things. And then people get to the Summa like, this is awesome. And then eventually they're reading the Summa. They're like, I want to know more. And then you refer them to the disputed yes. questions. And then they're like, yes. bruv, I could read the De Veritate until the cows come home. And you're like, you and me both, sweets. I remember I remember when I had a uh, a professor first introduce me. It was, it was on a class in, uh, in on the Doctrine of God. And he first introduced me to De Veritate talking about God's knowledge. And it was like, and, I, and I'd been, I'd been reading the Summa for a while. So I'm like, De Veritate, more like De Isatate. Like I, I got this. This is, this will be simple. Simplitate. And, and I, I read the first, the first, um, first article. Mm-hmm. And it was like, like 25 like objections and responses and yeah, i'm like dude. no this this is not going to be as easy as i thought it was going to be like it's this a mystic is, this playground is, this is this is definitely not the sumo for sure and then one quick question can you have one more question before you go yeah yeah yeah. Totes. actually actually there's two questions that's can fine you, can i have a, this the first one's really easy so will there be spicy food on the new earth if there's no pain Wow, that you said it was easy. That's incredibly difficult. What was this person like Anubis or something like that? It's fascinating. Nor- Northern Gothic. Yeah, because capsaicin triggers pain receptors. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there were mosquitoes in the Garden of Eden. So you figured that out, and I'll answer this question. 
Okay. Question. What is Father Pine's view of predestination? Does he hold a view like Banya's? Please say yes. I do, yeah. I, I've I've encountered Elijah in, in a variety of different places, but yeah, no, I like Gary Lagrange, the books on Providence, Predestination, and then the uh, commentary on the Treatise on Grace. I kind of follow that as he describes it pretty closely, so which is a, a kind of neo Banyasian view. So Okay. Thank you for for being on. I guess I'll let you go to Compline. It's about um that would be non it's non over here in eastern standard time so uh <laughs> thank you for thank you for showing up um love to uh to if you if you ever wanted to do another chill q a um just let me know but uh, Dude, chill q a this is a new genre see like may- maybe that's part of being a millennial is that you think that that everything's kind of serious but part of being a a gen zer is like Dude, there isn't anything serious in this world. You just have chill streams and you answer questions as the as the whim presents itself. I, I did I did notice that as people as people uh and this is not calling you old, but as people no, get older, like as guests get older, they get like more like super tense about like like being on like a live stream and stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, I have my wife bring me food while I'm on a live stream. I'll be yeah. like, she'll bring me dinner because I mean I got stuff going on. Like I, I, I go, I'm a student, I got a full-time job, like doing this. Like sometimes the only time I have to eat dinner is talking on a live stream with somebody about like, I, I don't know, like something like I'm having uh, somebody come on. Yeah. UFOs talking on a live stream with UFOs, eating my, eating my dry bread collation, which was not tasty. I don't know. Yeah. God bless man. No, I think it's for, for me, it's in part because, like of the of the media in which I contribute, you know, like Pontius Aquinas and then God's mm-hmm. playing. Both of those are they're not perfect. You know, there's there's still quite a bit of chatter and quite a bit of bluster, but they're like pretty polished. And so kind of pretty polished is my go to. Um, but that being said, if somebody else sets a tone where they're like, yeah, man, we're just going to just going to bro out and shoot deer, eat dry bread. I'll be like, all right, I can get on for that. Yeah. OK, so that's all. So before we leave, uh, look at this banner at the bottom. I got a cool nice. banner going. Look at that. Oh, yeah. And I need to give a plug for my book, which I said I was going to do. I wrote a book. It's about prudence. It's called Prudence. Choose confidently. Live boldly. It's available for order on Kindle right now and for pre-order and paperback. So um, it's actually, I think it's actually a good book. It's something that I'm proud of, which I can say of like four things in my life. So, um, check it out. Hey, let me find it. I'll put it in the live chat real quick and I'll make sure I put my, uh, where, where, why prudence choose confidently live boldly. There it is. Nailed it. I need to pre-order it. Okay. Let me get the, uh, I want to make you be late to compline so i'm hurrying i promise i'm doing great there you go so it's in the it's in the chat right now i want every single one of you to buy that book right now um it did it did i spell tomum right I I, I I don't know what you wrote so i can't i can't click on it and i can't see it because no no no, no, no. I'm a thousand like years uh old. It's on the uh, it's on the ticker right at the bottom of the screen. Oh yeah, you killed it. Oh yeah, Etiad Tomom, you're killing it. 
There you go. Okay. Thank you. And uh, will you send us off with a, with a prayer and a blessing? With pleasure. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Grant us grace, O merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to thee, to examine it prudently, and to acknowledge it truthfully. For the glory of thy name, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father. And I will, I don't think I have any more streams, everybody that's watching today. So I will see you. I don't have any streams tomorrow. I guess Friday with Swan Sona. Maybe I'll do a Q&A tomorrow. So uh, thank you and God bless. Peace. Peace.